You are listening to Moments of Clarity, Journeys with EQ by Six Seconds Europe. Six Seconds is a global nonprofit dedicated to growing emotional intelligence worldwide. Our work involves supporting individuals, teams, and organizations to develop and practice emotional intelligence to help increase personal and organizational effectiveness. Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the podcast. Every Wednesday, I ask our guests for three moments from their life, big or small, that led to a change, a new path or a lightbulb moment of clarity. Our guest today is Ruth Whiteside, who has over 20 years experience in teaching and school leadership and she now uses that experience in coaching and mentoring teachers as they grapple with the increasingly complex needs of children in today's modern world. This episode will be particularly of interest to anybody who is interested in education and how EQ can help people in that field. Next week we have our last episode of Season 1 when we do our Happy Place special. Hello Ruth, you're very welcome to the podcast. Um, Thank you very much Virgo. So where are you based? Uh, I'm actually based um, in Northumberland in the UK, um, kind of near sort of slap bang between Newcastle and Carlisle. Currently, I, I, as, as with all self-employed people, I have my finger in lots of different pies. So my, um, the work that I'm passionate about that I'm, I'm pushing all the time is my EQ work. That's the bit that I'm really interested in. So Hmm. I was a teacher in primary school for 20 years and a senior leader and I left uh, gosh, September 2018 to set up my own business coaching teachers because I have this real um, sense that teachers need more support. <laughs> and the, mm. the, the, there were many reasons why I left, but that, that was one of them. And one of them, one of the, and one of the reasons was so that I could set up my own coaching business. Mm-hmm. And that kind of dovetailed beautifully in with the work I was doing around EQ. Um, I'd met Catherine Ruff by that time and she talked talk to me about six seconds. So, so it kind of all fitted beautifully together. As with um, as with all self-employed people, there are other things that I do in order to kind of just keep the books rolling yeah. in. So, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach at Leeds Beckett University. I do some work for Northumbria University. Um, but my key thing, really, the thing that I really want to progress is the EQ work with teachers, because I think they, they need it now more than ever. I presume, like in Ireland, anyway, I know that it isn't really taught in mm-hmm. the, when the teacher right. training school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's such an important thing, oh, you know. It's absolutely. And I think as well with, with teachers, um, one of the other things that I do is I do training around adverse childhood experiences and, and what adversity in early childhood does to the developing brain. And teachers don't hear about that um, in, in teacher training either. So they're coming into, uh, into potentially really difficult situations in school where they're dealing with traumatised young people, where they haven't got the skill set to, to look after themselves, let alone work with traumatised young people. And, and I mm-hmm. think, you know, that's a real lack in, in terms of our initial teacher training because it's, and as we go through COVID and as we go through life generally, those incidences of traumatised young people are just getting more and more and more. Um, 
EQ, I just, I'm sure you'd agree with me, EQ is needed mm. now more than ever across all populations everywhere. Exactly. And I would notice this year that, you know, with the lockdown that, um, you know, that children were, it affected them more. Maybe we don't mm-hmm. notice it as exactly. much, but it definitely, mm-hmm. and particularly definitely. Uh, children who have more needs, mm-hmm. that it has, it, has, it has affected them Absolutely. disproportionately. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's, I think that's really unforgivable, actually, that we can look back, you know, we're still kind of in this COVID moment, hopefully easing out of it. But, you know, we, we can look back now and already see the huge impact it's had. As you say, you know, for, for people with additional needs, it's been an absolute, it's just been in so many ways for so many people it's, it has quite literally been a death sentence mm-hmm. the the inequity of our systems in the uk has just been highlighted for all to see um and i think for those you know and and i've had some really interesting conversations with parents and teachers around their children's capacity to manage everything they've been through in the past 15 16 months and Yes, there have been lots of parents and children who have actually relished the time they've spent together. And for some children with additional needs, particularly autistic young people, being away from school and away from from the noise and the sensory overload in many ways has been a great thing. But I think what we are actually going to see is a is a very um, is a huge increase in sort of the levels of anxiety and uncertainty that young people feel. And that will that that I think is something that we've still yet to uncover. As is as is always the way with 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 big events, you know, you have that moment of immediate recovery where you're scrabbling around trying to get things in place, and then comes the time for reflection and and recognizing the impact. And I suspect from September, when fingers crossed, assuming that we do go back to um, do get back into school. I suspect we're going to see a, a, a real problem emerging as people have kind of got over the initial, this is COVID, this is what we have to do. And as they move into the post-COVID phase, into that kind of um, resilience building phase, I think that's when we're going to probably see quite a lot of real difficulties for lots of young people. Exactly. If we could go to your three moments mm. of clarity. So your first one, what is your okay. first one? Well, my first one, I it seems so simple. Um, but my first one really is I'm in charge of me. And I you know <laughs> it's it's almost it's, it sounds really trite, doesn't it? But I think for me, when I left teaching, um that there, there, there were lots of reasons around why I left teaching, but one of them in in retrospect, you know, hindsight being a wonderful thing. One of them was because um, I didn't feel very much in charge of myself. I didn't feel like I had very much control, if you like, over what I was doing, why I was doing it, who I was doing it for. And I left because I kind of hit that point where that sense of loss of control was just, um, it was just, just, just too much. And in retrospect, having taken some time out to, to, to really think about, you know, life, <laughs> my career trajectory mm. um, and, and all the rest of that stuff. One of the things I realised was that I had let things happen to me. Again, I think as teachers, we're very used to having things done to us. You know, we're a very done to profession. 
And so I think we, we tend to lose our voice, our sense of autonomy, our sense of control. And what that means is when things are difficult, you've, we've lost the capacity to actually be able to verbalise it in any kind of coherent, clear way. And it then becomes incredibly internalised. I think as well, and I see this really clearly having left teaching and working with teachers from the outside, that we are um, we are so good at recognising when things are not good and we're very good at, at finding ways to um, mitigate those feelings, whether that's sort of self-medication through drinking too much or whatever it might be. But we're also really good at complaining about things, things which are absolutely worthy of complaint. But there is a point where I suddenly started to recognise who, who takes charge of that, who actually deals with those difficult feelings. And we can't just project them onto anybody else. We can't just blame the system, although the system has a lot to answer for. We can't just blame our um, senior leadership teams. We can't blame our, we can't blame the children. You know, there is one person at the heart who can actually change their response mechanism, and that is yourself. And it took me um, many years to figure this one out. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, it is only you. You are the one person who can change your mindset, your perception, your understanding. And if you, you know, if you don't take time to reflect and if you don't take time out to think about, you know, why things are the way they are or to question things or, or whatever it is, then actually all you're doing is perpetuating a cycle that, that it, you know, just gets harder and harder to climb out of. So that moment of clarity was uh, a long, in fact, all of my three moments of clarity were a long time in the making, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm 53 now thinking, and I'm only now getting this. <laughs> it's, it's funny you're saying it, though, because as you say, it's a very simple idea, but often they're the hardest. Because oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's very, as you, it's very easy to uh, blame other people or if you're in a situation, go, you know, I've no control over this yeah. and I, I can't change. So it's a brave thing to do as well, mm-hmm. because sometimes then you have, to, you have to take yourself out of a situation. You have to be brave to go, I'm going to do what suits me, you know. Absolutely. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so I like it's, that idea. it's kind of recognising what you need as well, isn't it? And I think we're very, very conditioned, um, I think, generally speaking, um, the human condition, women in particular, I think teachers are a nightmare for this, you know, that they're conditioned that, that, that they don't think about themselves first and foremost. They don't think about what they need. They think about what does everybody else around me need, whether that's the boss, the child, the, 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 you know, the, the children at home, the kids in the classroom. And I think we, we are too, we're too quick to, to play that passive role. And I really firmly believe, you know, this is why I like to coach teachers in terms of getting them to be more self-aware and recognise what they need. And that can be an incredibly uncomfortable process. Uh, On another podcast that I do, I had an interesting chat with a debut author and Mm -hmm. her inspiration was her English teacher. And we were, and I would say the same about my, when I was in school, my English teacher and uh, both those teachers sort of, taught outside the curriculum there was more of an emphasis maybe on that 
And um, like, for instance, she gave an example of her teacher got everyone in the class to learn a party piece, whether it was a song or a right, poem. Uh-huh. So if they were in a party, they'd have something to uh, recite. And I was mm-hmm. so practical. <laughs> yes. But it left the most mark on both of us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, you're talking about teachers and they're in, they feel like they have to do certain mm-hmm. things. But the teachers that leave the most mark are the ones that go with, um, you know, w- w- what their heart says how to teach, maybe, you know. Abs- yes, I think you're right. And interestingly, my English teacher at um, secondary school was my real inspiration. And and the, the perfect teacher, but, you know, this was back in hmm, mid 80s. <laughs> and I guess, you know, we hadn't hit the national curriculum yet. We hadn't hit that point where everything suddenly needed to be standardized the same everywhere and i wonder if if you know for and i know people are very dismissive of teaching in the 70s and 80s you know that it wasn't particularly well done that you know you had you you could have brilliant teachers but you could also have terrible teachers and i guess that's what people kind of um remember about the 70s and 80s but what i feel is that they had autonomy in a way that our teachers, I don't think, do have autonomy now. Um, and that is another reason why I think teachers find, end up in this almost quite a passive situation, because because everything is either handed to them or, you know, and this is a, this is a massive generalisation before anybody kind of comes I back know. to us and says, Ruth, that's just a load of rubbish. I mean, I am talking in generalisations here, but it's very, you know, I've just been talking to a school where all of the planning for the lessons is done for the teachers and they are not allowed to deviate from the plans. So my question to the, to the, the, the person I was talking to was, well, who, who comes up with these plans? Oh, it's a group effort with a senior leadership team. <laughs> I just thought, oh, wow, you know, and if this is the way that some schools are going, then what does that say about teacher autonomy? What does it say about recognising individual needs of both teachers and children and pupils? What does it say about the, the role of teacher? So, yeah, so, so I, yeah, I do have a tendency to get on my soapbox about this. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I can understand. <laughs> okay, well, so now your next moment of clarity. Okay. So my next moment of clarity, and again, this is it's taking me a long time to get to this point, but I realise um, I've always been really afraid of big emotions. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of reasons for that. But it, again, it was only in the last couple of years, and, and I lost a very, very dear friend to cancer and really struggled with, with her loss. And um, kind of... One of those situations where where every time I thought of my friend Jill, I would push the thought aside because I didn't I couldn't deal with with what was all of the emotions that were coming up. And it was really only and again the simplest of things, but I was walking the dog one day and Jill it popped into my mind and I just found myself thinking, don't push this aside, Ruth. Let let those emotions come. Just, just let it happen. And what actually happened was I stood still. Um, luckily, there was nobody around at the time. I just stood stock still and felt this wave of emotions and realized that the key emotion I was feeling actually was a sense of absolute panic. 
um, which kind of took precedence over every other emotion I was feeling. And I carried on walking and kind of thought, why? Why am I feeling this sense of panic? And I realised that the panic came from being so desperate to avoid the big emotions that that it kind of... (laughs) kind of seemed to take on a life of its own and become a whole new thing of panic and once I kind of worked that out in my head the next time I thought of Jill and I I really concentrated and made myself think of Jill as I carried on my walk um, and I suddenly felt so much lighter because although I still felt the grief and the sadness and the everything connected with with the loss of Jill what I didn't have at that moment was the panic. And so I was able actually to manage the grieving bit better. And I think, again, it, it comes back to some neural pathways, doesn't it? This sense that we, we think ourselves into a place, into a position, until it becomes habit. And it takes a lot to unpick those habits and to reset, if you like. And it's been a real revelation to me to step out of the fear of those big emotions, the fear of the panic, and start to just be much more accepting. And, uh, you know, I think we can, you know, a psychologist would probably come in and say, oh, you know, we've got, there's lots of things to unpick from childhood there, Ruth, and I'm sure there is, but a big thing, I think, for me, and it relates back to work and teaching, is that sense of having to repress a lot of emotions in order to do the job in order to function, get through the day. Um, I was working in quite a toxic environment at at one stage and um, I was having to suppress a sense of injustice, anger, and sometimes just pure irritation. There was a lot of stuff that I was suppressing in order to just do what I knew I was supposed to be doing. And I think that habituated me into this idea that don't think about that now Ruth too big too difficult you know put it in a box deal with it later and of course I never did go back and deal with it later and so things escalate so I think that that really I think is is where that that second moment of clarity to not be frightened of big emotions has actually allowed me to be much calmer in myself um i must ask my husband and family about this and see what they say see if they agree but you know yeah. it's it, it's it's definitely been a process for me and you know like they talk about um in six seconds they talk about uh, emotions to name them to tame yes, them absolutely so mm-hmm. it's like letting them happen and, and then recognizing them and, and yeah knowing what they are mm-hmm. and it's funny like in ireland or something i've noticed in the last year sort of that in ireland we're good at say funerals where mm-hmm. you know we really grieve and we have wakes and yeah. there there are a few days and a celebration but over covid it's a little bit different obviously you couldn't there was no church mm-hmm. and things like that and like one of my uncles died and i was sitting outside in the car watching the mass mm-hmm. in the car there's only 10 allowed in the church yeah and i do and so if you're not able to grieve or to you know i think then that over time it'll come back more and it's yeah. just an example of, you know, Absolutely. if you're able to to mm. um, grieve at the right time, yeah. it does help, you know. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. And I think as well, it's it's that whole understanding that the, the the physical, the physiological process that's happening in your brain. And I think 
if, if I look at children and young people and how we teach them to manage their emotions, we need to be teaching them about neural pathways and neuroscience and how the brain works, because then there's a real, you've got that practical understanding of what is happening rather than feeling it and not knowing why you're feeling it. Um, and I always liken that to driving or, or riding a bicycle. I'm, I'm, I'm rubbish with kind of, um, sort of uh, you know, engineering things you know I just I just don't get how things work but when I was learning to drive and, and when I was doing lots of cycling it was really important for me to understand how the gears worked and how what I did would necessitate a change of gears and what was actually happening inside the engine or in the gear set because that for me was the only way that I could uh, realistically understand what I was supposed to be doing <laughs> if that makes sense yeah. um and i you know i think it would be so useful to be able to talk to kids about how the brain works so that this understand you know this this thing about naming it to taming it which is is a, is a really well-known thing you know we, we, i know that there are PSHG programs in school that that say you know we're going to talk about emotions today we're going to name them to tame them but do we ever say why it's important yeah. to to name them, to tame them? We just call it that. That's the lesson name. So, how yeah. are you feeling today? Happy, brilliant, sad? Oh, that's 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 a shame. But we don't go into them in any great depth. And, and this is why I think EQ is so important in schools for kids, um, and that as teachers, as the adults in school, we model that all of the time and share share feelings and explain why we're feeling it and remind them that there's a there's a process going on in the brain you know that this is not just people i think separate emotions from 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 cognition don't they and they think about emotions as being somehow centered in the heart and you think no 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 that's not what's happening at all exactly. <laughs> so Okay, so your last uh, moment of clarity then. Okay, so my last moment of clarity is about, wow, learning, learning to enjoy the present moment. And again, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Um, I think I feel that I've spent a lot of my adult life generally being quite anxious, generally looking back and regretting or looking forwards and thinking, how do I get it right next time? And because we're always so busy, you know, life generally for most of us is incredibly busy. So, you know, being a teacher, being a senior leader in a school meant very little time to reflect always, but but somehow always a time to, to, to regret or to worry about what's just happened, you know, even though it's happened, move on. Um, and I think, that, so I lost the art of just learning to be for a long, long time. Having left teaching and and working with teachers to encourage them to be thinking about taking a deep breath and being in the moment, you know, really apply that to myself. <laughs> I really need to start actually applying that to myself. And, and that's what I'm absolutely loving. COVID has actually helped with that, bizarrely, because you know, work has just dropped off a cliff with COVID. Um, you know, for, from you know, as is true for lots and lots and lots of us, whether self-employed or, or, or working for an organisation. But what I have then had to do is just do something else, do something different. And the thing that I've done is garden. And again, I know that's been really true for lots and lots of us stuck at home. 
Um, but gardening, what a wonderful thing, you know, and, and I've gardened like crazy this year. <laughs> and it's been brilliant because it has absolutely allowed me not to think about anything other than what I'm doing at that moment in time. Walking the dog has always, up, up until gardening, been very much a bit of a therapeutic thing. Um, you know, just, just losing myself in a long walk and not thinking. You know, we, we think all of the time. And so we, we don't, we're not in the present. We're, we're thinking about other things that take us away from what we're doing at that moment in time. And, and that moment of reflection, I think, is so important. And I had never really realised how important it is until you know, recent, recent, particularly this year with COVID. So it's a bit of a Corona bonus in some ways. I got the exact same thing with, I walk um, down by the river near my house. Still, you know, it's brilliant, really clears the head, I have to say. And that's true COVID, you know, so. Absolutely, yeah. One silver lining. We take four deep breaths Mm -hmm. and close your eyes and think Mm -hmm. of your happy place. Mm -hmm. Where would that be and why? Mm. I think happy place is is by the sea, particularly the west coast of Scotland. Um, and that's because it's well I was I was brought up on the Isle of Lewis, so so I've got a real you know, I kind of I love that whole West Coast vibe thing <laughs> and you know, particularly in Scotland. It's the sun, it's the sea, it's the sky, uh, the clouds, it can be horrendous weather it can be beautiful weather but I love it just as just as equally um and it's that sense of freedom and and having that moment it's, it's almost almost being in flight you know that sense of just being able to to, to take myself out of the the weighty body of life and work and all the rest of it and feel that just enveloped I think by by the salt and the sea and the air and, and the winds and it's just I just love it it's just beautiful because I'm from the west coast of Ireland uh-huh. and um, mm-hmm. so I can so relate to that yes. and and it's funny why you were just saying that because I, I remember when the last times I went there I just got out of the car and I could immediately feel and taste and smell the salty air and it's more salty on the west coast the air mm-hmm. and yeah that's what I just love. And I just feel that content yeah. immediately, mm-hmm. contented feeling, yeah. you know, there's it's nothing just like it. Oh, th- mm. There's nothing like it at all. It's just, and I've just, I've just had 10 days up on the West Coast. And so at the moment I'm really holding on to those wonderful, wonderful feelings because it was, it was, it was just fabulous. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed our guest this week. I would ask that you please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and review so that others discover this podcast. For more information on emotional intelligence and how Six Seconds Europe can help you, please go to sixseconds.org slash EU. Take care and see you next week. You are listening to Moments of Clarity, Journeys with EQ by Six Seconds Europe.